Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, God blesses His people. God blesses us, His children. We see a beautiful blessing in our text this morning, but as is so often the case, God blesses us not to pamper us, but He blesses us for a purpose, to fulfill His purpose. Don't just think of Genesis 1 and God's blessings, blessing on the animals and on humans. God blesses creatures so that they might be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's blessing empowered His creatures to fulfill His purpose and calling. We see a similar thing in our text. The Holy Spirit here, through the human author, He pronounces a blessing on us, on God's people. The blessing is pronounced again for a purpose, so that we might do God's will, and so that we might do what is pleasing in God's sight. So that's why I've summarized the sermon this morning as follows. Look to the God of peace to equip you with everything you need to do His will. We have two points. First of all, look to the God of peace And secondly, do His will. Beloved, doing God's will is not always easy. In fact, oftentimes can be very difficult. Our sinful desires, they pull us away from obedience to God. And doing God's will might also bring personal pain. And when it does, it can be easy to shrink back and just avoid doing God's will, just doing what we want to do. And when I say this, I I think especially the first readers of the book of Hebrews, they went through some very difficult trials. Now, listen to how Hebrews 10 describes what happened to many of them when they came to Christ. It says, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. These were difficult challenges, difficult trials for them. Suffering this kind of reproach and persecution might make them shrink back from doing the will of God. See, when you face trials and hardships like that, doing, doing God's will is even more challenging. And although we, we don't live under near as hard of trials as these Christians were facing, we still have some big challenges today as well, and that can make it difficult to know and to also do the will of God. Whether it's those Christians back then or us sitting here today, what's important to see is that we cannot do God's will all on our own. We can't. It's not in our own strength. Those Christians back then, they needed God's blessing for this. So do we. And so we need to keep our eyes firmly on God and our Lord Jesus Christ and also His blessing pronounced here in these verses. 
listen to how listen to how our God is described here. First, He's called the God of peace. God has complete peace within His own being. And as a God of peace, He's the one who secured our peace with Him. See, there once was hostility between us and Him because of our sin. But now there's peace between us and Him because of the work of His Son. That's why Christ Jesus died. He died for us to give us peace with God. That's what He secured by His sacrifice. As a God of peace, He's also the source of our peace. Peace within our hearts and our minds. Our text goes on, this God of peace, He brought back Jesus from the dead by the blood of the eternal covenant. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, most likely it's this, Christ's obedience unto death, His perfect submission to God, shedding His blood to save us by His perfect sacrifice in perfect obedience is the reason why God raised Jesus Christ. You see, the resurrection of Christ was the vindication of Christ. God was proclaiming that Christ had no sin. It was the Father's stamp of approval on His Son's work. As it says in Hebrews 2, earlier on in this letter, Jesus, we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. And that's good news for us. You see, because of this, because of this resurrection, God raising Christ from the dead, we can make sure that Christ's sacrifice secured our forgiveness. See, Christ's sacrifice on the cross was perfect. It was done in perfect obedience, in perfect submission to God. That's why he was raised. And so we can know, we can be assured, that perfect sacrifice in turn has made us perfect in the sight of God. That's the power of Christ's sacrifice. Makes us perfect in the sight of God. Now listen to how Hebrews 10 verse 14 puts it, by a single offering, Christ has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. See, those who are still being made holy by the Holy Spirit, yet they have been um, made perfect. His, his sacrifice has perfected us for all time in the sight of God. The power of Christ's sacrifice. And Christ's blood here is called the blood of of the eternal covenant. That's because Christ's blood secured a covenant that will last forever. It's not like that old covenant, the covenant made with Israel on Mount Sinai, which needed to be replaced, which had become obsolete and was fading away. No, this covenant, established by the blood of Christ, will endure forever. By shedding His blood, Christ has secured our relationship to God forever. Through this blood of the covenant, we are assured 
that God will always be our God. And we who believe will always be His people into eternity. And the Lord's Supper is a testimony to that this morning as well. Christ said at the institution of the Lord's Supper, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, that eternal covenant. See, Christ, He established that covenant through the shedding of His blood on the cross over 2,000 years ago. And here with the Lord's Supper, we have a sign that that covenant is still in effect. It's still in force. God is showing here that my covenant with you has been made through Christ. And you who believe will be my people forever. So as you partake in the Lord's Supper, see and believe that God in Christ will always be your God. Christ here is also called that great shepherd of the sheep. He's the shepherd. We are his sheep. He takes care of us. He has saved us. Christ said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them from my hand. Finally, Jesus is our Lord. He's our master. He bought us with his own blood. He owns us. He's our king. So this is our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, also as described in these words from uh, verse 20. This is the God who blesses us. The next thing to look at is, how does all this we've looked at equip us to do God's will? Right, Because that's the purpose of all these things. Well, we could say a number of things. First of all, God has saved us from eternal death. He reconciled us to himself while we were his enemies, while we were sinners. And one reason he did this is also to make us new. To make us new creations. You see, God has saved us from the punishment of sin in Christ, also so that he could save us from the power of sin in our lives. And we wouldn't be, that we would not be slaves of sin anymore. If God gave His Son to die for us, He gave up His precious, His beloved Son to die for us. And we can also be assured He will give us what we need to do His will more and more. Yes, we might struggle mightily at times to, to know God's will, to do God's will. might struggle very mightily against sin. But we must always fix our eyes on our God. He can help us. He can work in us to overcome our sin. Put it to death. So we can pray to the God of peace. He loves to hear from his children whom he has reconciled to himself. And God, our Father, is eager to equip us to do his will. And God does equip us. He equips us through the resurrected Christ 
It says, God brought back again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Savior, having been raised from the dead, is a life-giving Savior. You know, think of, think of what Christ did after He arose again. And then He met with His disciples in John 20. When He met them, He said, Peace be to you. Right? That proclamation of peace to God's children. But then He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. He blesses us with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the ultimate equipping from God to do God's will. It's by the Holy Spirit that we can do God's will. It's not from ourselves. Think of Christ Himself. God anointed Christ with the Holy Spirit also to equip Him to do the, the will of God. Right after He was anointed by the Holy Spirit, Christ was tempted in the desert. He withstood that temptation. And Christ continued to obey His Father, do His Father's will, all the way to dying on the cross, denying Himself. We think of the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ being in anguish, the cross lay ahead of Him, and yet He prayed, Oh, not my will be done, but yours. Your will be done. Perfectly doing the will of God. Beloved, that same Spirit is given to us too. To work in us. To do God's will more and more. That brings us to our second point. So the blessing of our text is that we might be equipped to do God's will, but notice how the text puts it, May the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do His will, uh, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ. God equips us and calls us to do His will, but having equipped us, He doesn't just leave us all on our own. He's still working in us that which is pleasing in His sight. We're not alone in this. He does it through Christ. It's it's similar to Philippians 2, where it says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So that being said, what are we to, to do now? Now, what are these things that are pleasing in God's sight that, that God is working in us? Well, we could say many things here, of course. Uh, God wants us to obey all His commandments. That's what He wants us to do. God wants us to be rich in good deeds, as He describes throughout Scripture. So, God wants us to do all those things. But I think for this text, at the, at the end of the book of Hebrews, it's good for us to focus on some of the things described earlier in this book. You know, the book of Hebrews actually contains some, some difficult things. As you read through it, you see some stern warnings and some strong commands. And so we need God's blessing. We need God to equip us to do all those things that He has been describing in this book so far. That's why there's this blessing at the end of this letter. 
You know, I, I just think of all the things we read about in Hebrews 12, and I think it's good for us to focus on some of those things, so more could be said. You know, listen to verse 1 of, verse, of Hebrews 12. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, those who live by faith before us, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance a race that is set before us. God has called you to run the race of faith. He's called you to run to himself with perseverance. No matter what the hardship, no matter what the trial, to keep running that race of faith. And to help you in that race, he calls you and commands you to throw off your sin that could trip you up in this race. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Throw it away. No, we can't do this of ourselves. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we can more and more. Listen to verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. What a statement that is. You've not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. Now, I don't know if we would even consider this. Well, sin here might refer to sin within us, or might be referring to the sin of you know, those who were persecuting these Christians. But either way, the point is the same. We're in a bitter struggle against sin. We're in a war to stand firm in the faith no matter what. And we need God to equip us to do this or we're going to fail. No doubt about it. And being equipped by God May you struggle against your sin. You know, we're in a fight. Sin is fighting against you. It is your enemy. But God calls you to fight back. To fight against it. Fight against your sin to put it to death. He will equip you to do that. Hebrews 12 goes on. Listen to verses 14 and 16. Strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Right? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Strive for holiness and purity. Put off impurity. Drunkenness, greed, lust, and lying, put it all away. Put off sexual sin. Put on purity and holiness and self-giving love. Then there's the other part of verses 14 and 15. Strive for peace with everyone. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You know, in in these times we face right now, with all the strong opinions and all the stress of restrictions, 
Perhaps this is the most difficult one for us to do at the moment, right? Strive for peace with everyone. Strive for peace with those whom you disagree. Strive for peace in the church. Strive for peace with the leaders of this country and province. Strive for peace with your brothers and sisters in Christ. That doesn't mean you need to agree on everything, Even if you disagree, you need to disagree in a way that seeks to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You know, listen to what it says. See to it that no root of bitterness springs up defiling many. And I fear that right now there are many bitter roots springing up in our hearts. You know, if there's one thing I've heard multiple times over the last number of weeks, it's this. I'm out of patience. Out of patience for restrictions, out of patience for people with different views, out of patience for those struggling with fear, out of patience for these, how things are being handled in the church, out of patience for everything. I'm not saying that to one particular person. If you think, oh, he's saying that because of something I said, but no, I've heard many people say those things. But it's a sense I get from so many people. You know what? These are trying times. When you're out of patience, shows again, we can't do this on our own. It's up to us. We're never going to make it through this. We need to turn to God again. He blesses us to do His will, including these things here. So if there's a bitter root springing up in your heart, confess that to God, and you need to weed it out. You need to pull up the bitterness by the roots and throw it away. And ask God to give you more patience. And again, that doesn't mean you need to agree with every, everyone and everything. But if we all throw away patience and embrace bitterness, then as Hebrews 12 says, it will only cause trouble. Finally, there's one more thing God calls us to do. We see it at the very end of our text. More of a description, but it's also a calling. It says, To Him be glory forever and ever. Now, who does that refer to? A text could refer to God the Father or Jesus Christ as Son, but maybe it's ambiguous for a purpose. We work for the glory of the triune God. And you can be certain that this is at the center of doing God's will, working for His glory, trying to magnify God in your life, making Him the center pointing others to Him. And may you indeed be blessed so that you might bring glory to God every day. Amen.